Every week, we do a Q&A with interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community to find how they persevered, how they innovated, how they built communities, and how they found solutions. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. Welcome to Chris Waddell Name Tags Chat Podcast, where we celebrate stories of resilience. We are talking today with Kelsey Lefebvre, who is a Paralympian from Rio, who is heading to the Paralympic Games in Tokyo, is also has, has an undergraduate degree, has a master's degree, is going for a PhD, is an adjunct professor at George Mason, where this past semester she taught uh, diversity and inclusion in sports, which just seems like a really appropriate thing for us to be talking about. So it seems like you've done your research for this podcast. Welcome, Kelsey. Thank you very much. <laughs> ah, thank you for having me. This is actually my first podcast. Is it your first podcast? It's we'll my try first to be podcast. gentle with you. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. No, no, it'll be a lot of fun. And obviously, you have no trouble. You have no trouble conversing. So we'll just have a good time as we as we move along in this podcast. Sounds great. It's, it's really cool to see what you've done, you know, with your second, second Paralympics. But when you came into school, when you came into the University of Illinois, you, that, was, that was not a plan. You weren't doing it. What did you think? Because I read something where, where Adam Blakeney, who was recently on here, who was the coach, said to you, well, you have really long arms. Do you, did you know what to make of that? What did you make of that? No, I thought it was a really weird thing to say to somebody that you just met. Like, I was like, why do we have to talk about how long my arms are? <laughs> um, so that, yeah, I um, grew up in Chicago um, and came down uh, to Champaign for school. Um, University of Illinois is the state school um, and was kind of the only one of my group of friends. I went to a um, private high school. So not, I didn't graduate with a class of, you know, a thousand kids. So there was maybe three or four of us that came down here. So kind of didn't really know anybody. Um, it was kind of the most, um, coming down here was sort of the, made the most sense um, location-wise, financially, kind of the whole um, deal there. Um, and I um, kind of getting, I didn't even have a major, so I was just kind of in general studies, which, um, you know, you meet people as you take gen eds and stuff, but you're not kind of getting in with like a cohort of people that you're gonna like move through courses with. Um, so I was kind of floundering a little bit. I um, I have distinct memories of really hating it uh, down here and long phone calls with my mom where I'm like, can I please come home? <laughs> um, and just kind of missed uh, the routine of home and the kind of familiar aspects of home. And um, I have a great group of childhood friends that, um, been kind of friends with since kindergarten and um, kind of still to this day and kind of miss just like being around everything that I knew. Um, so that's sort of the, you know, I've been here for now 14 years, but uh, the start of that story is that I really hated it and wanted to leave. <laughs> when did you recognize that, that saying that you had long arms was actually a compliment and could be helpful? Yeah, so I um, I had an advisor in general studies, um, kind of as I um, sort of did that first semester of getting signed up for all the basic gen eds, um, kind of when you take the person that says they don't know what they want to be when they grow up, and they're like, here, why don't you take these classes? <laughs> um, and one of her recommendations was to register for services at the Disability Resource Center here on campus, um, also known as DRES. Um, and I was sort of like, no, I don't think I need that. I was, um, I kind of grew up, I didn't grow up around many other people with disabilities. And so I wasn't used to there being like services. Like I was kind of used to like everybody just sort of um, kind of play by play, like figuring out like, oh, well now her classrooms are on the second floor. Like, what do we do about that? Like um, not necessarily that there was like somewhere that I could go and there was like all these, um, kind of things in place, like forward planning. Um, and so I kind of was like pretty hesitant about it. And she's like, you know, it's a huge campus, um, building elevators go out all the time. We get snow and there's like accessibility issues with like getting around and um, kind of just all the like, hey, you kind of need to deal with the fact that like 
you're in this new place and you don't really know anyone and it's a big school and kind of there's a lot of moving parts. And so I went over there um, also not knowing that it was where the wheelchair athletics program was housed. Um, so I went over and registered and found out that there was um, our physical therapist that's on staff at Drez um, taught a kinesiology kind of one credit hour, like come and spend um, an hour twice a week in the gym and um, kind of develop some like fitness goals. And we'll like work through that over the course of the semester. And I was like, okay, that sounds great. And they'll give you a credit hour for it. And I was like, oh, perfect. Um, so I did that. And at the time, Adam's office was in the gym. It was the office that was kind of right off the gym. Um, so kind of got to like chatting with him. And um, he asked me, he was like, you know, you must have tried wheelchair racing because like otherwise I would know who you are. Like you must have tried it and just like not liked it because you live two hours away and I host a camp every summer. And um, what's the deal? <laughs> Um, and he extended the offer, um, to come and try out a racing chair. And I was like, no, I don't really think, you know, what you're getting into with me. Like I don't sport, like it's just like, not a, I was the kid that hated gym class because I'd never really seen it in a way that worked, um, for someone with a disability. I was like, I kind of just thought gym was dumb and recess. I hated recess and um, I was like, so, you know, like I, you really don't know what you're getting into. Like, you don't want it. Like you should rescind that offer. Um, and he was, he said, no, I'll, um, set up a chair and your arms are really long and it's a great asset for wheelchair racing. And it's kind of the first time I'd ever, like, I can like look back on it now and you get that sort of like talent ID, um, kind of esque thing, right. Where like, you've got somebody that's like, Hey, this like physical, characteristic of yours equates to being good in this particular sport like that's just not a thing that I had ever heard before like nobody had ever said my name in sport in the same sentence <laughs> Wait, was it a social thing too I mean in some ways it sounds like you know it, being in a wheelchair doesn't necessarily mean that you have a bond with someone else in a wheelchair Correct. So, so this woman's pushing you over to, you know, to, to the rec, rec side you know therapeutic rec side of things and stuff like that and it's like uh, no, I don't, I don't necessarily share that much in common with yeah. those people. I don't know those people right now, but was right. that part of the trepidation as well? Was, was the social side of, are you putting me in a box and are you making me hang out with all the other people in wheelchairs? Kind of a little bit. I always joke that like, cause we've got, you know, the whole um, gym set up at Drez and um, both the wheelchair track athletes, as well as the wheelchair basketball athletes um, would come you know, in and out of there for um, their strength and conditioning. Um, and I had never seen that many people in wheelchairs in one place before in my entire life. Like, I was like, do you guys like all just come and hang out here? Like, I don't understand. Um, and it wasn't until like, so kind of that side of it where it's like, this feels weird. On the other side of it, I was like, wow, like I had never really been around other people my age um, with disabilities. Like in my world, it was so much associated with like, oh, well, I have a grandma that uses a wheelchair or like my grandpa uses a cane or like this like association with aging and this point of life that I wasn't at. I was a, you know, 10 year old kid. Um, so on the other side of that, um, it ended up becoming this amazing, um, kind of opportunity to get to know other people that may have experienced or be experiencing some of those kind of same nuances um, at the same time. Like, so we were all, um, you know, away from home. We were kind of um, sort of growing into college life and dating and, you know, locker room talk. And, you know, you get to, you know, run past um, my, my, I wear children's size feet or shoes because my feet are so small. Um, and you get to know these other like 20 something year old girls who are like, oh yeah, me too. Like you should go shop here. Like, because they look less like you're 12. <laughs> um, and so it, it became this like amazing opportunity to get to know um, people that were kind of in the same part of life as I was. Um, 
but I didn't realize that I needed that. I didn't realize that like that was something that, cause you don't know what you don't know. Um, so I didn't realize I was lacking it. I didn't realize that it was kind of this thing that I ended up latching on to like, oh my gosh, I, I don't want to let this go. <laughs> well, you never, you never had peers. Right. I mean, right. it's the same, which is, which sport is kind of, is kind of the connection, right? It's not necessarily right. the wheelchair that is the connection. Like, I mean, I went through the same thing where it was like, I was in, I was in the hospital and I felt mm -hmm. like I didn't share much of anything with the people in the hospital. Yeah. And then when I started competing, I was like, oh, like these people are like me. Plus right. there's, there's the sport part of it, but then there's the social part of it. There's the there's the, I mean, there's, there's always so much to learn, right. In terms of getting around and the nuance and like, well, what do you use for this or that or whatever? And it's like, Oh, now you have the inside story and the voice of experience that social part. It sounds like became a really big thing for you, right. More so in some ways than the sport part, right. It did early on. Um, you know, I think when you're so brand new to something and um, a place like our wheelchair athletics program here is where you land. Um, it's really easy to be very intimidated by that. So I was a freshman in the fall of 07. So just about a year out from Beijing. Um, and I can look back on, you know, the year out from London, the year out from Rio, um, the kind of year out from Tokyo. And um, you're talking like high caliber, like, and I'm like, and you want me to like push around the track with them? Like, I'm like, I'm going to stay out in lane eight like, and maybe I should come on my own so I don't get in the way. Um, and so it, it certainly, that's didn't... a real, that's a real fear. I mean, you're joking about that, but yeah. people are going 20 miles an hour around the track and you probably were trying to figure out how to go straight. Yeah. I, the night before my very first track meet, um, I was like panicked. Like this would have been my first, like competition ever like I was you know 19 years old and he's like well you're gonna like sign up and you're gonna go and you're gonna race tomorrow like you then they'll call you and they'll they'll put you on the start line and the starting gun will go off and you'll just like push up the track in front of the people that are in the stands and I'm like I've never done this before um so I was like very panicked about it and he gave me one objective and he said your one goal is to stay in your home which is your lane <laughs> Um, and he is like, to this day, it's this like running joke of like, if I'm ever like, you know, moving around the track too much, he's like, stay in your home. <laughs> um, but it certainly didn't start out with like, even then, like going to, I think I went to meet in the heat, maybe the last meet in the heat down, um, sit down in Phoenix. Mm -hmm. Um, and um, even that was just kind of like this fun thing. Like it wasn't, um, I didn't, I didn't see it as like a catalyst to sort of a high performance athletic career. It was like, well, this will be a fun thing to do this weekend. Um, well, so you it, are a travel person though. I am. I am. Um, so it was a like kind of, even like the travel experience though, was this like, unique bonding experience where you're, um, you know, traveling on the bus and just all this stuff that people could like gawk at, be like, oh my gosh, you have to, you know, ride the bus for like nine hours or whatever. And I'm like, oh, it was great. Cause like, I never had teammates before. I never had like, I don't know. I remember getting my Jersey and they're like, oh, this is like your uniform. And this is your locker, like in the locker room. And I was like, this like, it was all just like, I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> so I loved all that stuff. Like, I was like, yeah, let's drive to Georgia. Like, <laughs> Well, it's also, it, it has to change things a little bit too. Like even when you fly somewhere, mm -hmm. you have a team of 20, 30 people or whatever. I mean, it's, you've got a big group of people and you're pushing your wheelchairs in front of you to take your racing wheelchairs to the gate and, and, and on your own, you might be a spectacle. Yeah. But then the, the tide sort of sort of changes there, right? Where, you know, you, you don't feel that way, I'd assume. Is that the way it felt for you? Yeah, there's like that strength in numbers kind of thing um, where, you know, you're inevitably going to get the questions when you've got, you know, 15 racing chairs moving through O'Hare. Like people what are going to- What is the question? Like, um, 
are you going to the special olympics is a is a frequent one um what happened to you sometimes um they vary i mean you know you get the very positive like oh good luck this weekend or um and then you get the um kind of prodding (laughs) questions where i'm like are we gonna have this conversation right here (laughs) see i usually get the how fast can that thing go Oh yeah. Or do you have brakes on that thing? Your brakes. That comes more on the day chair or like, don't get a speeding ticket in. Yeah, exactly. Don't get a speeding ticket. How fast can that thing go? And I'm usually sort of cryptic in my answer. I'm like, well, it depends on the size of the engine. They're like, is yeah. there an engine? <laughs> no, no I, I'm the yeah. engine. <laughs> like, oh. Yeah. Like at some point you just learn. And that I guess was like stuff I picked up on too. Like the kind of being able to make jokes and like, cause I, you know, watched other people do it. And um, not that, you know, not in like a self-deprecating way, but just in like kind of making light of some of that stuff. And, um, you know, if they're going to ask you questions like that, like dish it right back, I guess. <laughs> well, it's also cause, cause so much of it gets to be about, you know, what happened to you? Like, oh, I feel sorry for you. I feel badly for yeah. you. And you're like, well, don't feel badly for me. I'm on this cool adventure. Like I'm, yeah. I'm going somewhere to go race, you know, this, this is July 4th. We're going to be at Peachtree and we're going to wake up at 4.30 in the morning <laughs> and get out when it's, when it's still hot and humid, but it's dark out. And so it's really confusing and, and uh, yeah. yeah, it's this cool race. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's some of where it starts to switch. Right. And yeah, you've gotten into a bit of the, the, psychology of it right I mean this is like in terms of your 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 thesis that you're writing right Mm -hmm. now is is about as I'm as I'm reading it I'm not sure well I'm not reading the thesis but as I was reading about your thesis neither am I yet (laughs) well good luck with that I hope that you get to at some point but but the idea of retirement too right Mm -hmm. so and what happens when you leave sport how is that for you because one, you didn't think that you needed or wanted sport. And yeah. now you're potentially approaching the end of your sport. So what's it like when you're approaching the end of something that you didn't think you wanted or needed? Yeah, um, so I've, I've kind of done a lot of, um, so so much of my dissertation work um, is born out of my own experience, right? Like I kind of use myself as my, favorite test subject and you start to be like wow I can't be the only one that's experiencing that or thinking that or um or kind of on the other side of it like how is it different for like what are other experiences um kind of potentially different from my own um so I've I've done a lot of thinking about what it looks like to so so much of my um disability identity I found in sport um because so much of my childhood, though amazing, and I had this incredible, I have this incredible family and group of friends, and I had a really positive um, experience in school, and um, kids were nice to me, and kind of did all of those like benchmark things that you do as a teenager. I went to prom, I went to driver's ed, I got my license on my 16th birthday, um, I took the ACT prep class, I took the ACT, I applied to college um, and had kind of done all of that. Um, But I did all of that, kind of looking back on it, really trying to fit into everyone else's world. Like there weren't, because I constantly felt like it was like we were addressing issues sort of as they came up, as opposed to being like, you know, I can look back on it now and I'm like, did any gym teacher ever like hear anything about wheelchair sports and then kind of come to me with that information like, hey, do you know this thing exists or um, a doctor or nurses or like anyone really. Um, And so I very much had that association with, um, well, let me just make it work. Like I will make um, kind of what I'm doing and everything um, kind of the the square peg round hole kind of thing or the round yeah and like kind of thing yeah and sometimes that went better than others and uh but that sort of seemed like the only option like it was just sort of like this is the world and the world doesn't always feel like it was built with you in mind and you're just gonna kind of like modify as you go and like pivot as you go 
Um, and then I came down here and I met Adam and I met the team down here and I got involved in racing. And suddenly I was like, oh my gosh, this is a thing that I can do that not everybody else can. Like if like we were all lined up in a row and somebody was presenting the idea of wheelchair racing, like they'd tag me and say like, hey, this is a thing that you can do as opposed to like feeling like I was trying to fit into everyone else's world. Um, and that was incredibly powerful. And with that came the sort of beginnings of trying to imagine the world differently and imagine kind of why does it have to be that way? Like, why can't it be different? Like, why, why does it, you know, do you always have to feel like, you know, activities aren't um, put forth with, you know, varying abilities in mind? Um, and so out of that, I started to, I think, find a different acceptance and a different pride really in kind of being a young woman with a disability and knowing that that was going to be okay, like that there were going to be sort of paths forward and opportunities and that I, you know, had this support system of other people that understood that and, um, Though we live different lives, um, closer reflections of it than I had really seen before. And um, so I very much developed that disability identity through sport. Um, and the idea of not having that scared me because I was like, oh my gosh, what if, what if that's the only thing it's rooted in? And if I stop doing that, what happens next? Like, who do I become next? Um, you know, you've got these like pivotal identity development years that go on in late teens, early 20s, I mean, up through now still, but um, such a pivotal time in your life. And so much of those identities are intertwined. And I started to get really nervous about what happened after. Like, I was like, what if all of this is dependent on who I am as an athlete and what if that's the only place that that feels empowering. Um, it's interesting based on what you're talking about because you called it a, a disability identity. Mm -hmm. so, so first time that you're kind of identifying in some ways with, with disability because it sounds like you were entirely in an able-bodied world. Yeah, I'm trying to downplay it, right? Like you're trying to be like, no, it's fine. I'll just make it work. <laughs> But what about what about the personal identity? I mean, that's kind of the the interesting question, right? I mean, so there's a disability identity, there's mm -hmm. a sport identity, and then and then there's there's a personal identity, mm -hmm. which may or may not be the same as the other two. But is this kind of the issue? Is trying to figure out how do you how do you reconcile these things? How do you how do you figure out what your personal identity is? Do you go back to that person that you were before you came to wheelchair racing? Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, I think we get to take um, sort of those identities and the experiences that have come out of um, helping to shape those identities. Um, I, you know, it, it, a lot of it was realizing that that doesn't go away, that the experiences and um, the opportunities and the, you know, things that have come out of, you know, the better part of the last 14 years in sport, um, that doesn't go away, even though um, you may or may not be like competitively um, racing or, you know, competing um, forever. Like, obviously, like the most normative thing that we know in sport careers, elite sport careers, is that at some point they end. Like, that's retirement is this inevitable like at some point you can't your body like will not physically let you um perform at that level um and I've actually found a very like interesting overlap with that with like that's kind of how they it's kind of how disability gets talked about right like it's that your body is no longer like performing this at this like in this like physical space that it was before. Um, and so maybe in some ways we're equipped with a different knowledge of that. I don't know. It's, it's an interesting question because, but part of it also is, 
is the social part, right? The social mm -hmm. part of you've been part of a community, you've suddenly been part of a community, a community you didn't think you wanted to join, but yeah. this has become the community and and the community also is, is how you're understood as mm -hmm. well. You know, yeah. you're understood as, as part of this group, whether that's the group of the University of Illinois or whether that group is a, a Paralympian or whether that group mm -hmm. is, is just as an athlete. And then, and then people not necessarily knowing your backstory. You're like, no, right. I, was, I was spectacular at something at one point. You just don't know that yeah. I was spectacular at it. So do I need to tell you or can I just tell you that I was and you'll assume that and, and you'll understand it and assume that I will yeah. be spectacular again. You know, I mean, this is this is some of the identity, right? And and, and it's also yeah. in some ways leave, leaving that that little your personal universe mm -hmm. and and going into what you consider to be this great wide world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've wondered about that with kind of leaving Champaign. Um, it's so much a bubble here and people no in the- I'm assuming. <laughs> people <Sorry>. are, <laughs> we could make bubble jokes, I think, maybe. <laughs> it's spelled um, differently, but it's, but, it's <laughs> but you can still make a bubble joke. Yeah. Um, so our program is so, like has such strong ties to the community and you know, you see a racing chair and you're not like, oh, what's that? It's like, oh, that's the wheelchair racing team. They must be out for their like morning training. Um, so you almost like, you almost like move about in this town in particular, where if somebody sees you in your wheelchair and they assume you're an athlete, like they just like, they're like, oh, do you play basketball or are you on the racing team? <laughs> um, and I, I've wondered what it looks like when, I don't know, if you move somewhere else and you just walk into a coffee shop and nobody knows who you are and it's like, oh, I'll have a black coffee. Thanks. Okay. That'll be $1.79. Okay. Thanks. And have nobody's nice asking you, did you race <laughs> yeah. in the Paralympics? What did you do? Yeah. What are your events? And you're like, uh, yeah. coffee's my event now. That's what I do. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, how, did, how did this change like your your educational path. I mean, you said you didn't really know what you wanted to do when you started, but yeah. how did your identity, your, your, your developing identity shape your educational path? Yeah, so I, um, I ended up in media studies um, as an undergrad uh, because I remember, so Beijing would have been 08, um, so, um, you, you quickly learn within that one year that there is going to be this, you know, month long period of time where everybody leaves because they're like over competing at the games. And we had a whole bunch of uh, wheelchair basketball players that left from here. Um, and then, you know, a good majority of our team. And so those of us that were left here um, really wanted to like watch as much of the competition as we could. Um, which you then quickly learn is really hard to do, um, especially back in 08. Like it's for as you know good as it is now, it wasn't that way. Um, yeah, that there's no television ago. coverage really. I'm a couple hours here and there maybe. Yeah, and I remember being really mad about that. And I remember because I, I trained with so many of them for, you know, trained. I'm over here like, can you show me what the lanes are again? Like, and what the lines are? And, um, What's this little triangle under my chair for? That, so that makes the yeah. turn? Okay, yeah, cool, like, cool. How many times do I have to tell you that's the competitor? Um, and, but kind of being here as everybody was gearing up for Beijing, both on the racing side and the basketball side, like I knew how good they were and I knew the training that went into it and the kind of day in and day out showing up to put in the work in the same way that we all grow up hearing stories about how Olympic athletes train, right? Like it's this, you know, you go all in and it's this day in, day out, like grind. And I watched them do that. And it really made me mad that nobody else seemed to know about it. And um, so I started studying it. I wanted to 
figure out how to make it better. Like how, like this thing that I had this front row seat to that then became this, like, I want that. Um, well, that you I fell wanted, in love with, right? I mean, it's- yeah, like it just like it, I wanted other people to know about it. I wanted, and I, I wanted the narrative to be that they were athletes and that it wasn't this like constant, like the stuff you did see was like, could be made for a lifetime. Like it's this like um, kind right. of very like teary eyed um, and sure. And like, there is an aspect of, of kind of that emotional side of it. Um, but there's also like the grind, like, and there's, that's, I think what I felt like was missing, like in the coverage that you could find. Um, I was like, nobody, like, why can't you talk about their training or why can't you talk about like, like the good and the bad stuff? Like, cause you see that in sports commentary, right? Like you see kind of the, the praise for performance. And then you also see whether they mean to or not, like there's expectations put on athletes and they'll tell you about it if it's not what they thought was going to happen. Um, and that like, not that you, not that you want to like see that, you know, kind of curated to this like extreme where it's like harmful to people, but you want to see that like authentic sports journalism. Um, and it wasn't there. And so I started taking classes in the College of Media and um, journalism classes and advertising classes. Um, and then kind of segued into, well, how can I bring sports specific into this? Um, and I coupled them together in my master's um, and then stayed in um, the sport management track. Um, and I've often wondered if like, I could have gone the graduate school route in media with sport as the context. Um, kind of, I don't know, two sides of the same coin maybe. <laughs> Well, it's, it's a challenge, I think, always with the Paralympics. It's a challenge in that oftentimes it, it's billed as the Paralympics. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it, it, it's an event, which yeah. in some ways can minimize the individuals mm -hmm. in the event. And, yeah. and it's also, it, it's an event. So, so it's the disabled version of the Olympics. Right. Which in some ways means that you need to root for everyone mm -hmm. you know it's like oh well these people have seen such tragedy it's such a difficult life and and so you need to root for everyone which yeah. means that you don't necessarily get to have you know a, a a discerning eye of like oh well kelsey i love her for this you know and somebody else is like oh no no that's not like she doesn't even have her hair dyed or anything i mean not not that you might not have your hair dyed but it's not dyed like purple or something like you know it's yeah. not like like that's the person that I like who's out on the edge, who's like, who's making this bold, crazy statement of like, look at me. And yeah, you know, and, and it's like, but but you can have your favorites. Yeah. And that's okay. And you can yeah. and you can root against somebody. And that's okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, it's like that's the nature of sport. If you have your hometown team, you're like, I want my hometown team to win. And I want the other team. Like, I mean, I grew up in I grew up in Massachusetts. So it's like my favorite baseball teams, the Red Sox, Red Sox. And playing the Yankees, you know, I mean, that's like my, yeah. favorite, my second favorite team. You yeah. Know? And you get the heckling if you're out like watching it at a bar or restaurant and there's the Yankee fan over there. Like there's just like a back and forth dynamic. That's like, there's this very clear, like I want this team or this person to win and you want this other team or this person to win. And it's, it's, I don't know, part of sport is part of, I think what makes sports so great is like you don't always know what's going to happen like it's you don't have this like you know determined outcome and you know you love the story of the underdog and kind of being able to see some of those stories come through in the same way that we love them on the other side right like it's and well it's a lot of what we're what we as Paralympians want people to see, you know, because when, yeah. when it's your favorite team that wins, you say, well, well, we won. And yeah. It's like, really? And there's this like identification with them, like as though you were like helping them run the bases. Like you're like, we did this. 
And we did this. How many baskets did you score? Well, I was still on the couch. I didn't score any baskets, but but we won. You know, yeah. and, and I think that's a lot of what the Paralympics want to get to is this sense of like, you know, if you win, it's like, well, Kelsey won. We we won. We won. Because yeah. I'm on I'm on team Kelsey. We're we're winning. How much of that did you see in your classes? How was you how were you able to to shape that in your in your classes and think, what's the narrative that I can create for an underrepresented part of the population and underhumanized part of the population? Yeah. Um, so I um, I was usually the I was usually providing information because it you know it wasn't like you know you start talking about I don't know basketball in a you know, sport management class or sport media class or whatever. Um, and everybody starts like conversing and it becomes this like huge dialogue. Whereas when you start talking about the Paralympics or parasport broadly, or um, it feels like everybody kind of goes silent and they wait for you to like spit all of this information at them. And it's not a conversation because um, you're not like, they're not, sharing experience necessarily with it because they might not have any um, experience with it. And, you know, I think kind of back to what you said and framing it like an event, um, it starts to feel like that one-off, right? Like it's like this thing that happens and then the event ends and then we'll talk about the event when the event's going to happen four years from now or two years from now um, versus those like sort of developing like true and authentic sports fans like where you're you follow an athlete through the period of time that's not part of the event like um in the same way that you like you know you follow your favorite athletes in all sports like it's you know whether they're you're you know constantly fishing for headlines about them and stories about them and um and you don't see that you don't see the like stories that are framed in that way and kind of the way that people you know think and and talk about it as this like authentic like I am a fan of wheelchair basketball or I am a fan of that particular Paralympic athlete um, to where you'll keep returning and you'll keep like seeking them out um, so it, it always it never felt conversational it always felt like I was like on this like soapbox of like, you should care about this. Like, and, you know, sometimes you get people that are like, oh, that's really, really cool. And then you get other people that they like conversation and event is over, class is over. Thank goodness this girl has stopped talking <laughs> and life goes on kind of thing. Um, Have you seen it change? I mean, so this is, this is like 2008 that you're talking about where you're. Yeah, it would have been 2008, 2000. I graduated undergrad in 11, so the year before London. Which then London was a pretty spectacular breakthrough. Yeah, I went to, for the, for I, the Paralympics. Went, I went to London um, as a spectator for like a long weekend. <laughs> um, and I remember landing at Heathrow and, you know, you just saw signage everywhere and like the, you know, people are in t-shirts and there's, you know, David Weir is plastered all over the airport and um, I got on the tube and like sitting there and scattered all across the floor were like newspapers and it was like all Paralympic coverage like it was just like sitting there on the floor of the you know train as though you know you would see it on the L in downtown Chicago except in downtown Chicago it wasn't Paralympic coverage <laughs> um, and it, it, it was incredible it was just this like and I remember being in the stadium the stadium was packed um bars and restaurants were packed because people were like tuning into the games as though it was like an nba weekend that you know we're used to seeing like bars get crowded around game time and here they were doing it for wheelchair basketball and rugby and um you know the marathon course the morning of the marathon was just lined with people and David won and I look over and the guy next to me is crying like he's like I can't believe a you know British athlete won and I was like you know who he is like this is 
Um, and it, like just this like incredible counter to what we were seeing here. And, you know, I think it's, it's starting to change. And I think you see sentiments of it starting to change and you see these, you know, people like yourself who are, you know, grinding away at like trying to make it better. Um, but I don't know that it's latched on everywhere yet. And, you know, that's the hope, right? Like it's. It is. What, why, is why is it important? Why, why is that change? Like why that, what you saw in London, where you saw David Weir, where you saw people who were, who wanted to get tickets, who were waking up in the middle of the night to get yeah. in the lottery to get tickets for the Paralympics. And I scalped I scalped tickets to the like gold medal game, the women's gold medal game. I, like I couldn't get tickets. They were like sold out. And I like this person that on the, some internet thing was like, yeah, you can buy my tickets. And I was like, perfect. <laughs> Thank <that's>, you. <laughs> what is that statement? And why is that statement important for, for sport? Why is it important for you individually? And why is it important for the for society in general? Um, so I think so much, what I remember so vividly in London um, is that they weren't, they weren't framing all of their coverage. They weren't framing um, kind of the pride and the like, um, the way in which they saw kind of the athletes and the, the kind of stellar performances that were occurring. Um, none of it was framed around like what happened to them or like what was kind of the backstory of like how they got to that day, right? Like it was like they were talking about them as athletes and I will be the first to like, I'm very proud of, you know, having a disability identity um, and, and I'm not shy about kind of putting that forth. Um, but I don't want that to be the only thing people know about me. Like, and so I think it's it's cool when we can see kind of some of those stereotypes and those, you know, stigmas that so much get associated with what disability means. And so much of that ties to um, kind of, you know, historical factors and sort of the way that, you know, our systems were designed and not designed and, um, you know, we can, you know, could go down a whole rabbit hole about that. Um, but you, I think in kind of seeing that coverage start to take shape differently and kind of the way people um, talk about Paralympic athletes differently is sort of this, like, at least for me, this like indicator of like the tide sort of changing, like that maybe that transcends to the larger disability narrative. And maybe that kind of transcends to, you know, this, you know, broader way that we think and talk about sport. Like that, I, yeah, I don't know. I've gone back and forth on like wanting to see it completely integrated and wanting to see sort of the Paralympic movement sort of maintain. Um, Talking and specifically I, about sport, not about life in general. Yeah, yeah. How, um, so how much of that, how much of the change, how much of affecting a change is incumbent upon the athletes and incumbent upon the, the, the individuals? And how much of, as an athlete, are you in a different position than a lot of other people in society, a lot of other people with disabilities in society? Yeah, um, I think I I think that there there can be this um, feeling like you you have to have some sort of like stance that you're taking on um, kind of whether they're like larger issues related to disability or um, that like as somebody with a disability and somebody that, you know, has, you know, potentially the space um, to create kind of a conversation around that, like, do you have to do that? Or like, are you, do you feel some like obligation to um, 
you know, having to like put yourself in that space. Whereas you get like some people that are like, I just want to be an athlete and I don't want to have to like do the song and dance of like um, who I am as a disabled individual or who I am, you know, as this or why I don't have a leg or what happened that and why am I in a wheelchair? Like there's a lot of people that they don't want to have to take that on and they don't, they are there and they're like, I am so-and-so and I'm an athlete, period. Like that's what I want to be known as. Um, and then there's kind of other people that kind of see it as a space to um, further that conversation and, and, you know, have some of those uh, bold conversations. Um, and I don't think one is right and one is wrong. I think that kind of in the same way that, um, I don't know, there's not always the, we don't always, well, and I guess that's not true. I was gonna say, we don't always put that expectation on athletes without disabilities, right? Like, do you have to be this like social justice warrior? Do you have to, um, you know, be this advocate for this cause or this cause or this cause? Um, and sometimes you you see that sort of projected on the para side where um, it's assumed that you want to be this like very loud disability advocate, advocate and maybe right. you don't want to be. And may, like, maybe that's okay. Like maybe it's in the same way that we don't put that expectation, like you shouldn't have to do it just because you fit what people think is the label of it. Because something went wrong at some point in your life, you don't have to yeah. be a representative of what went wrong. And it, but, but it is it is interesting because we are in a in a position right now of of social advocacy and and certainly yeah. you know last year with with George Floyd and all that with with Black Lives Matter with the NBA completely embracing it and looking at a guy like like a LeBron James. Mm-hmm. who is one of, if not the most successful athletes all ever and happens yeah. to be, happens to be African-American as well. Right. And, mm-hmm. but he, he's one of those guys who, who in some ways it seems like he, he has a burning desire to create a change, but then at the same time, he has, he has created a platform that allows mm-hmm. him to do it and his ability as a basketball player means yeah. that that he's in a position where where he's he's untouchable in some ways right whereas mm-hmm. a lot of other a- athletes tried to be advocates but it was it was easy enough just to cut them then deal with whatever social issue they were they were trying to push where it's it's an interesting situation and it's also interesting in what you were talking about in terms of the backstory where the backstory often can be what happened to you yeah Whereas- and it's you know you get people that are like I don't want to talk about the worst day of my life like I don't want to talk about the day I that have to relive it yeah yeah like I and I don't owe that to you like I don't owe you this like explanation but you it becomes this like invitation to ask because the association of like having a prosthetic limb or um you know using a seeing eye dog or like the visual of like seeing a wheelchair like it it's like this like you can't hide it like it's just you're wearing it and there's no way to not and it becomes this like invitation for people to want to like dissect it and poke and prod and like ask for all of this information and it's you don't you wouldn't see that necessarily in the same way in like other circumstances and other spaces. Like, I'm like, why do you, why do people feel like they can be so invasive? Um, And you get people that are like, I don't want to talk about it. Like, and I don't even know you. (laughs) No, I mean, there's definitely that, but it's also interesting when, when the backstory gets to be, you know, it's almost like, so you were talking about like David Weir in, in London, and you sort of look at that finals and you've got, you've got David who's, who's emblazoned in, you know, in the Union Jack or whatever, you know, so he's yeah. red, white, and blue. He is, he is GB, Team GB. And then you've got like Marcel with the, with the silver bullet from Switzerland and, and, and you've got the tie guys, right? You know, so it's like, it's almost in some ways, it's almost like a video game, it's, you know, where it's like, you've got your characters, 
that you're building and you're, and you're looking yeah. at that backstory and some of it's where you're from and some of it's where, you know, some of it's the attitude that you bring to it. Well, this is the guy who, who goes hard in the last lap, or this is the guy who yeah. you don't want to be, you don't want to be near in the pack because he's going to knock you over or, or yeah. whatever it is, you know, it's like, and, and so the, the personality becomes the backstory as opposed mm-hmm. to the, what happened to you backstory. How, as a, because you're also, you went from not being in sport mm-hmm. to then now being a mentor mm-hmm. in sport. What's the, what's the story? What's the message that you share with the people you're helping guide through this situation where, you know, and, and I'm sure it's reflective of, of whoever helped guide you or if, if nobody helped yeah. guide you or how that works. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't know if this is like a, you know, unusual um, take on it, um, but I always find a way to, or I try to find a way to, you know, if I'm talking to, you know, another know, teenage girl recently injured, what, whoever the person is, um, oftentimes I can see so much of myself in them. And um, I remember how much I tried to avoid like feeling it. Like I was like, just like, keep your head down and like, keep doing life. Like, don't feel sad. Don't feel angry. Don't feel like all of these things. When in actuality, like on the end, I was angry. Like, I was like, why did this have to be me? Like why they, you know, you hear all the, all the time, like certain congenital disabilities are like, it's one in a million. And I'm like, why did I have to be that one person? (laughs) Like, why couldn't it have been somebody else? And you know, you want to live someone else's story. Like, I remember that. I remember that feeling of like, it would just be easier if I didn't have to like have my clothes altered all the time, or I didn't have to like wonder where the elevator was, or like, is there going to be a flight of stairs? And is there going to be like, should I drive with my friend so that my friend can make sure that I can get in the house? Like, what if you didn't have to like worry about all that stuff? And, you know, at the time I looked back on it and um, you don't realize like, how complicated people's lives are in the stuff that you don't see. Like you just see the like, you know, physical visual part. And I'm like, that just looks so much easier. And why can't I be that? Um, And I didn't let myself feel that. I like pretended that that wasn't there. Um, And I, I have done a lot of work on it since then, but I've often wondered, like, I'm like, what if I, what if I had owned it differently? Like, what if I had, I mean, not that I wanted to be this like, angsty, overly, like, everything is awful teenager, but, like, it's, like, at certain points, I wanted somebody to listen to me when I was, like, hey, like, there's, you know, this is really hard, and it's, you know, high school's hard enough, let alone, like, when, you know, you have to carry this thing around with you every day that you walk into school, Um, and so that's usually my advice, actually, is to, like, deal with those feelings and those emotions and like that there's value in that and that there's in doing that I think it helps you get to the other side of it differently um and it's so much of the like I'm like gosh I wish that I had I don't know spoken up that I was like angry that I had to like you know sit on a chair and like dribble a basketball while everyone else was like playing basketball instead of being like like, this is ridiculous. Like, why do I, like this, it shouldn't be this way. Um, And, you know, having a a little bit of fire about that, I think, and, and allowing yourself to feel all of those feelings and use that to kind of help propel forward. Um, So I think it's a very like different um, piece of advice than like, I don't know. I'm never using the like, oh, everything happens for a reason and you'll be better for this. And like, I mean, maybe you will, but um, it doesn't take away from like how hard the day to day can be and like how hard, you know, dealing with and navigating through these like complex feelings while everyone around you is also feeling them too, because your family is like navigating all of this like unfamiliar territory and your friends are navigating all of this. Like, so you're like, dealing with all of those feelings as you're dealing with your own feelings and then you're trying to like not deal with your feelings because everybody else is having feelings and um so I'm 
I'm usually a, a, a strong advocate of um, being sure that you don't bury all of that and that you, um, I don't know, maybe I would have sought out, you know, a community of other people with disabilities sooner or, you know, I think for all the qualms that, you know, you give social media, um, it opens up a different world than I had. Like you weren't like following other people on Instagram and like seeing their lives and like how, you know, where they're getting their kids shoes or like, um, you know, you didn't have that at your fingertips. It was like, you knew who was like in your immediate world. And if that person didn't exist in your immediate world, you didn't know who they were and, um, or that they existed or that they could exist or that, um, you know, you could find different reflection points of yourself um, in people that existed in the world. Um, and you're, I- You're fairly prolific, at least <laughs> at times on social media. Is this, yeah. is this part of the reason that you are prolific? I mean, just avoiding this idea of like pushing all your emotions down, like, like actually sharing yeah. emotions, which surprisingly enough sounded far more universal than they did personal when you yeah. were talking about them. Yeah, um, you know, I, I can remember feeling very alone and like very like, because I, you know, for as great as my group of friends were and as great as like my family was and supportive as they were, like there was just certain stuff they didn't get and to no fault of their own. Like, it's just, sometimes you have to live it to understand it. And um, I remember not having that and not knowing where to find that and to not like, I don't know, you spend all this time being like, nobody would ever understand this, like, because I've never met anybody else that, you know, talked about the similar struggles that I'm having. Um, and so I think that's probably a lot of it, a lot of it. Um, some of it might be my own, like, you know, personal, um, there's, you know, something cathartic about putting thoughts like down into like sentences or whatever. Um, but I think it's in the hope that it reaches somebody that felt the way I did when I was little. And um, are those responses you're getting? I do. I get um, a fair number of like messages, um, usually recently injured um, individuals um, who, you know, you know, you get the person that's like, you know, every doctor has told me all the things that I'm never going to be able to do. And, you know, nobody's talking about like that, you know, in time, like I'm going to be able to travel and I'm going to be able to like drive again. And I'm going to be able to like go to the pool or the beach with my friends. And there's these things called beach chairs that are still not great, but they're like better than pushing your day chair on the sand. Um, and, and you're going to be able to date too, right? I mean, and you're going to be able to date and, you know, go out to restaurants and bars and the movies and the mall. And like, you have options for like clothes that will fit you. And, you know, you could meet other people that are like also have disabilities. And like, maybe you want to, you know, pursue sport, but maybe you don't. And like, there's this, you know, whole world of other you know, people with disabilities that are not athletes because they don't want to be. And, you know, in the same way that you might try, you know, sport in school and not like it and you want to play the flute or the clarinet or, you know, be in the theater, like you get to do that. And that there's options and choices and you don't have to be like pigeonholed into the laundry list of like, you won't do this and you won't do this and you won't do this and your life is you know, never going to be as you know it. And, you know, maybe in some way that's true, but it's not over. Like your life is not over. Um, well, it's true for almost everybody though, too, right? I mean, in, yeah. in almost every situation you can say, you're not going to be able to do this. You're not going to be able to do that. I always look at it as, as the exceptions or the ones who actually create the role for me. I'm like, well, but somebody did it. Yeah. And if somebody did it, like, like it's a possibility. Yeah. You've been you've been fairly vulnerable in, mm. in, in a lot of your posts. 
Hmm. You gain, do you gain a power from that? Do you gain, do you feel like you're more empowered as a result of your vulnerability? I do. Um, and some of it is that, you know, the same, some of it is just like the same, like struggles and emotions of being human. Like, and maybe in some ways it's humanizing it, right? Like where it's like, oh, you know, I struggle with body image in the same way that it, and sometimes it has to do with being in a wheelchair, but sometimes it's just like being a woman, like, yeah, or a human, like, right? Like, it's just, um, and so I think that there's this like humanizing aspect to it of like, there's, you know, struggles and, and difficulties and, you know, not everything pans out great, right? Like that whole like, oh, it's this, you know, everybody wins, right? Like, no, sometimes you fail your math test and like, whether you're like, I mean, I, I can rattle off like the whole list of times I've, you know, failed tests and quizzes in stats class because you have to take it to get through graduate school. And I spent, you know, every Thursday night in office hours being like, please help me learn this. Um, and so like showcasing some of those like same struggles, I think is my, I don't know, small piece of like humanizing that sometimes the struggles are the same. Like sometimes it's, you know, same struggle, different experience with it. Um, and, you know, sometimes stuff's really good in the same way that it is, whether you have a disability or not, and kind of being able to showcase both of it and um, sort of exist in that space in both ways. Um, so it's a con, I feel like it's this constant, like, back and forth between kind of latching on to like, I have this very strong disability identity. And then other times I'm like, no, let me just like push that aside. And hi, I'm Kelsey. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and I think, and obviously you are Kelsey, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that, that's regardless of, of where you are and what you're doing, you, you are Kelsey. And it's funny because I've often felt that, I mean, the, the objective is to get to a universal type of story, right? Yeah. But the only way to get to the universal story is, is, is through this sense of honesty. And the honesty really is, this is what happened to me. This is what I felt as a result of what happened to me. This is what I did, as mm -hmm. opposed to, this is what you need to take out of what I'm telling you. You know, yeah. giving somebody a processed uh, story, which is, which is a challenge because we, we all are in a position where we want to be interpreted the way that we interpret ourselves. So other people need to see us the way that we see ourselves. Right. right. If they don't, then they're getting it wrong. And then there's right. a problem. Right. <laughs> so we'll get you out uh, here. Uh, what, what are you looking for with Tokyo? Because we haven't really talked about Tokyo. Which events are you going to run? And what, do you, what are your expectations or what are your hopes? Yeah, um, so I'm running the 100 and the 400. Um, I could be a 100 and 200 meter athlete, I would, but the 200 is not an event for the racing jerseys. Um, so running the 100 and the, and the 400, um, primary, mm -hmm, right. um, primary event is the 100. Um, I like the short and sweet um, kind of um, technique of like, I don't know, I feel like in some ways it's like all on, and it's true of the 400 too, right? Like you're not running in a draft line or um, the hundred is like very much like what you have that day or what you don't have that day. Um, so I'm really looking forward to, we're in um, kind of a, our last like heavy training block before kind of tapering down. And um, so training's going well um, and I'm enjoying it, um, which is great. Like that's what you hope happens that you're kind of enjoying the, the process of it too. Um, what I think do you do well? In, in competition. Competition, yes. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I guess it's a big question to ask what do you do well in life? Let's, let's keep it to competition at the moment. <laughs> um, quick off the line, quick start, start off the well, line. Which is a huge part of, of wheelchair sprinting is what we call getting out of the hole. So. Right, because you're not doing it off starting block. So you're like, just like positioning yourself in space and saying like, okay, try to go fast 
from this like standstill with like, you're not pushing off anything. It's just. Right. Versus sprinters who, what is it within three steps can be, can be up to like, I think like 90% of their, of their yeah. max speed in yeah. three steps where as a wheelchair racer, you don't get to max speed in a hundred meters. Most people do not. Yeah. Yeah. Like you've got, you know, athletes that run the longer stuff because you know, you go, you're 250 meters into the race and you're still accelerating. <laughs> exactly. So you get off the line. Well, is that your biggest challenge then is, is holding on in the second half of the race? Yeah. It's the last 30 meters or so. Um, so been doing a lot of work, um, in that. And, um, I think the benefit of, um, work like overspeed kind of work and that kind of thing, yeah, which is what, can you describe what that would be? Yeah. So we, um, we can do a little bit of it indoors, um, when we need to, um, on a roller, um, that you can bump the resistance down to zero, um, to kind of mimic, um, a, you know, free spin, um, where you can, um, you don't have the like rolling resistance of like, if you were on the road, say to, um, but we also do a lot of downhill sprints. Um, so lots of, um, kind of just trying to get the wheel going as fast as you can and keep up with the ring as long as you can. And don't put your hands through your quad spokes. <laughs> get those hands moving as fast yeah. as you can and accelerating as opposed to slowing down the wheel. So, yeah. Well, this is going to be exciting. I'm sure we didn't get to talk about your your real travel affinity, but you are going uh, and it'll be a little bit of a different experience, unfortunately. I know. I, I know. I was so looking forward to um, kind of like if I had made the team last year to um, being able to travel a little bit after um, and was hoping to do it with my family. So well, your mom's your travel buddy, right? She is. Her and I have, um, she is a, she's a great person that I have in my life that I can call and be like, hey, do you want to do this thing soon? <laughs> um, and she 99% of the time says yes. So um, yeah, we've taken some great trips together and um, good, good memories, good experiences. So Probably a good we'll just have to almost. we'll just have to do it at a different time. <laughs> you will. You'll 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 go and scout it out and figure out where you want to return. And all <laughs> yeah, without a giant chair box and wheel bag and suitcase. Like I was like, well, maybe that's like a positive. It's like a lot of stuff to lug around. There's a lot of truth in that. Well, yeah. certainly, Kelsey. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks, thanks for, for having me. Time. Yeah, this was this was absolutely wonderful and good luck in Tokyo and and keep keep telling your story in, in whichever format you're doing, whether it's in your, you know, with, with your with your thesis or with your with your social media or with your mentor and keep keep telling your story. It's really helpful. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, you're welcome. And thank you to all of us, all of you. Thank you to all of us, really. Thank you to all of you. <laughs> For, for joining us, really appreciate it. If you didn't get a chance to watch the whole, the whole interview with Kelsey, you can see it archived on the One Revolution page on Facebook. We will also edit this into a traditional podcast. You'll be able to see that on YouTube and Apple and Spotify, all of the usual suspects. As usual, our greatest, the greatest compliment that you can pay us is telling your friends is liking us, is following us, and continuing to tune in. So we look forward to seeing you. We'll continue to bring you some great stories, and we'll continue to have fun. Thanks again, Kelsey. Take care and go fast. Thanks.